0: There is then but one all-comprehending existence and that one appears as manifold. This self or soul or substance is all that exists in the universe. That self or substance or soul is, in the language of non-dualism, the Brahman appearing to be manifold by the interposition of name and form. Look at the waves in the sea. Not one wave is really different from the sea. But what makes the wave apparently different? Name and form. The form of the wave and the name which we give to it, wave. This is what makes it different from the sea. When name and form go, it is the same sea. Who can make any real difference between the wave and the sea? So this whole universe is that one unit existence. Name and form have created all these various differences. As when the sun shines upon millions of globules of water, upon each particle is seen a most perfect representation of the sun. So the one soul, the one self, the one existence of the universe being reflected on all these numerous globules of varying names and forms, appears to be various. But it is in reality only one. There is no I nor you. It is all one. It is either all I or all you. This idea of duality, of two, is entirely false. And the whole universe, as we ordinarily know it, is the result of this false knowledge. When discrimination comes, and man finds that there are not two, but one, he finds that he is himself this universe. It is I who am this universe as it now exists, a continuous mass of change. It is I who am beyond all changes, beyond all qualities, the eternally perfect, the eternally blessed. There is, therefore, but one Atman, self, eternally pure, eternally perfect, unchangeable, unchanged. It has never changed, and all these various changes in the universe are but appearances in that one self. Upon it, name and form have painted all these dreams, It is the form that makes the wave different from the sea. Suppose the wave subsides, will the form remain? No, it will vanish. The existence of the wave was entirely dependent upon the existence of the sea. But the existence of the sea was not at all dependent upon the existence of the wave. The form remains so long as the wave remains. But as soon as the wave leaves it, it vanishes, it cannot remain. This name and form is the outcome of what is called Maya. It is this Maya that is making individuals, making one appear different from another. Yet it has no existence. Maya cannot be said to exist. Form cannot be said to exist, because it depends upon the existence of another thing. It cannot be said not to exist, seeing that it makes all this difference. According to the Advaita philosophy then, this Maya, or ignorance, or name and form, or, as it has been called in Europe, time, space and causality, is out of this one infinite existence, showing us the manifoldness of the universe. In substance, this universe is one. So long as anyone thinks that there are two ultimate realities, he is mistaken. When he has come to know that there is but one, he is right. This is what is being proved to us every day, on the physical plane, on the mental plane and also on the spiritual plane. Today it has been demonstrated that you and I, the sun, the moon and the stars, are but the different names of different spots in the same ocean of matter and that this matter is continually changing in its configuration. The particle of energy that was in the sun several months ago may be in the human being now, Tomorrow it may be in an animal. The day after tomorrow it may be in a plant. It is ever coming and going. It is all one unbroken infinite mass of matter, only differentiated by names and forms. One point is called the sun, another the moon, another the stars, another man, another animal, another plant, and so on. And all these names are fictitious. They have no reality because the whole is a continually changing mass of matter. This very same universe from another standpoint is an ocean of thought where each one of us is a point called a particular mind. You are a mind. I am a mind. Everyone is a mind. And the very same universe viewed from the standpoint of knowledge, when the eyes have been cleared of delusion, when the mind has become pure, appears to be the unbroken absolute being, the ever-pure, the unchangeable, the immortal. What then becomes of all this threefold eschatology of the dualist, that when a man dies he goes to heaven, or goes to this or that sphere, and that the wicked persons become ghosts and become animals, and so forth. None comes and none goes, says the non-dualist. How can you come and go? You are infinite. Where is the place for you to go to? In a certain school, a number of little children were being examined. The examiner had foolishly put all sorts of difficult questions to the little children. Among others, there was this question. Why doesn't the earth fall? His intention was to bring out the idea of gravitation or some other intricate scientific truth from these children. Most of them could not even understand the question, and so they gave all sorts of wrong answers. But one bright little girl answered it with another question Where shall it fall? The very question of the examiner was nonsense on the face of it. There is no up and down in the universe. The idea is only relative. So it is with regard to the soul. The very question of birth and death in regard to it is utter nonsense. Who goes and who comes? Where are you not? Where is the heaven that you are not in already? Omnipresent is the self of man. Where is it to go? Where is it not to go? It is everywhere. So all this childish dream and puerile illusion of birth and death, of heavens and higher heavens and lower worlds, all vanish immediately for the perfect. For the nearly perfect, it vanishes after showing them the several scenes up to Brahma Loka. It continues for the ignorant. How is it that the whole world believes in going to heaven and in dying and being born? I am studying a book. Page after page is being read and turned over. Another page comes and is turned over. Who changes? Who comes and goes? Not I, but the book. This whole nature is a book before the soul. Chapter after chapter is being read and turned over. And every now and then a scene opens. That is read and turned over. A fresh one comes. But the soul is ever the same. Eternal. It is nature that is changing, not the soul of man. This never changes. Birth and death are in nature, not in you. Yet the ignorant are deluded. Just as we, under delusion, think that the sun is moving and not the earth, in exactly the same way we think that we're dying and not nature. These are all, therefore, hallucinations. Just as it is an hallucination, when we think that the fields are moving and not the railway train, exactly in the same manner is the hallucination of birth and death. When men are in a certain frame of mind, they see this very existence as the earth, as the sun, the moon, the stars, and all those who are in the same state of mind see the same things. Between you and me, there may be millions of beings on different planes of existence. They will never see us, nor we them. We only see those who are in the same state of mind and on the same plane with us. Those musical instruments respond, which have the same attunement of vibration as it were. If the state of vibration, which they call man-vibration, should be changed, no longer would men be seen here. The whole man-universe would vanish, and instead of that, other scenery would come before us. Perhaps God and the God-universe, or perhaps for the wicked man, devils and the diabolic world but all would be only different views of one universe. It is this universe which from the human plane is seen as the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars and all such things. It is this very universe which, seen from the plane of wickedness, appears as a place of punishment. And this very universe is seen as heaven by those who want to see it as heaven. Those who have been dreaming of going to a God who is sitting on a throne and of standing there praising him all their lives, when they die, will simply see a vision of what they have in their minds. This very universe will simply change into a vast heaven with all sorts of winged beings flying about and a god sitting on a throne. These heavens are all of man's own making. So what the dualist says is true, says the Advaitin, but it is all simply of his own making. These spheres, and devils, and gods, and reincarnations, and transmigrations, are all mythology. So also is this human life. The great mistake that men always make is to think that this life alone is true. They understand it well enough when other things are called mythologies, but are never willing to admit the same of their own position. The whole thing, as it appears, is mere mythology, and the greatest of all lies is that we are bodies which we never were nor ever can be. It is the greatest of all lies that we are mere men. We are the God of the universe. In worshipping God, we have always been worshipping our own hidden self. The worst lie that you ever tell yourself is that you were born a sinner or a wicked man. He alone is a sinner who sees a sinner in another man. Suppose there is a baby here. And you place a bag of gold on the table. Suppose a robber comes and takes the gold away. To the baby it is all the same. Because there is no robber inside, there is no robber outside. To sinners and vile men there is vileness outside, but not to good men. So the wicked see this universe as a hell, and the partially good see it as heaven while the perfect beings realise it as God himself. Then alone the veil falls from the eyes, and the man, purified and cleansed, finds his whole vision changed. The bad dreams that have been torturing him for millions of years all vanish, and he who was thinking of himself either as a man or a god or a demon He who is thinking of himself as living in low places, in high places, on earth, in heaven and so on, finds that he is really omnipresent, that all time is in him and that he is not in time, that all the heavens are in him, that he is not in any heaven, and that all the gods that man ever worshipped are in him and that he is not in any one of those gods. He was the manufacturer of gods and demons, of men and plants and animals and stones, and the real nature of man now stands unfolded to him as being higher than heaven, more perfect than this universe of ours, more infinite than infinite time, more omnipresent than the omnipresent ether. Thus alone man becomes fearless, and becomes free. Then all delusions cease, all miseries vanish, All fears come to an end forever. Birth goes away, and with it death. Pains fly, and with them fly away pleasures. Earths vanish, and with them vanish heavens. Bodies vanish, and with them vanishes the mind also for that man disappears the whole universe as it were. This searching, moving, continuous struggle of forces stops forever, and that which was manifesting itself as force and matter, as struggles of nature, as nature itself, as heavens and earths and plants and animals and men and angels, All that becomes transfigured into one infinite, unbreakable, unchangeable existence. And the knowing man finds that he is one with that existence. Even as clouds of various colours come before the sky, remain there for a second and then vanish away, even so, before this soul are all these visions coming of earths and heavens, of the moon and the gods, of pleasures and pains, but they all pass away, leaving the one infinite, blue, unchangeable sky. The sky never changes. It is the clouds that change. It is a mistake to think that the sky is changed. It is a mistake to think that we are impure, that we are limited, that we are separate. The real man is the one unit existence, Two questions now arise. The first is, is it possible to realize this? So far it is doctrine, philosophy, but is it possible to realize it? It is. There are men still living in this world for whom delusion has vanished forever. Do they immediately die after such realization? not so soon as we should think. Two wheels joined by one pole are running together. If I get hold of one of the wheels and, with an axe, cut the pole asunder, the wheel which I have got hold of stops. But upon the other wheel is its past momentum, so it runs on a little and then falls down. This pure and perfect being the soul, is one wheel, and this external hallucination of body and mind is the other wheel, joined together by the pole of work, of karma. Knowledge is the axe which will sever the bond between the two, and the wheel of the soul will stop, stop thinking that it is coming and going, living and dying, stop thinking that it is nature and has wants and desires, and will find that it is perfect, desireless. But upon the other wheel, that of the body and mind, will be the momentum of past acts, so it will live for some time, until that momentum of past work is exhausted, until that momentum is worked away, and then the body and mind fall, and the soul becomes free. No more is there any going to heaven and coming back, not even any going to the Brahma Loka or to any of the highest of the spheres, for where is there to come from or go to? The man who has in this life attained to that state, for whom, for a minute at least, the ordinary vision of the world has changed and the reality has been apparent, He is called the living free. This is the goal of the Vedantin, to attain freedom while living. Once, in western India, I was travelling in the desert country on the coast of the Indian Ocean. For days and days I used to travel on foot through the desert. But it was to my surprise that I saw every day beautiful lakes with trees all round them, and the shadows of the trees upside down and vibrating there. How wonderful it looks, and they call this a desert country, I said to myself. Nearly a month I travelled, seeing these wonderful lakes and trees and plants. One day I was very thirsty and wanted to have a drink of water, so I started to go to one of these clear, beautiful lakes and as I approached, it vanished. And with a flash, it came to my brain, this is the mirage about which I have read all my life. And with that came also the idea that throughout the whole of this month, every day, I had been seeing the mirage and didn't know it. The next morning I began my march. There was again the lake, but with it, came also the idea that it was the mirage and not the true lake. So it is with this universe. We are all travelling in this mirage of the world, day after day, month after month, year after year, not knowing that it is a mirage. One day it will break up, but it will come back again. The body has to remain under the power of past karma, and so the mirage will come back. This world will come back upon us so long as we are bound by karma. Men, women, animals, plants, our attachments and duties, all will come back to us, but not with the same power. Under the influence of the new knowledge, the strength of karma will be broken, its poison will be lost, It becomes transformed, for along with it, there comes the idea that we know it now, that the sharp distinction between the reality and the mirage has been known. This world will not then be the same world as before. There is, however, a danger here. We see in every country people taking up this philosophy and saying, I am beyond all virtue and vice, so I am not bound by any moral laws. I may do anything I like. You may find many such fools in this country at the present time, saying, I am not bound, I am God himself, let me do anything I like. This is not right, although it is true, that the soul is beyond all laws, physical, mental or moral. Within law is bondage, beyond law is freedom. It is also true that freedom is of the nature of the soul. It is its birthright. That real freedom of the soul shines through veils of matter in the form of the apparent freedom of man. Every moment of your life you feel that you are free. We cannot live, talk or breathe for a moment without feeling that we are free. But at the same time, a little thought shows us that we are like machines and not free. What is true then? Is this idea of freedom a delusion? One party holds that the idea of freedom is a delusion. Another says that the idea of bondage is a delusion. How does this happen? Man is really free. The real man cannot but be free. It is when he comes into the world of Maya, into name and form, that he becomes bound. Free will is a misnomer. Will can never be free. How can it be? It is only when the real man has become bound that his will comes into existence, and not before. The will of man is bound, but that which is the foundation of that will is eternally free. So even in the state of bondage, which we call human life or God life, on earth or in heaven, there yet remains to us that recollection of the freedom which is ours by divine right and consciously or unconsciously we are all struggling towards it when a man has attained his own freedom how can he be bound by any law no law in this universe can bind him for this universe itself is his he is the whole universe Either say that he is the whole universe, or say that to him there is no universe. How can he have then all these little ideas about sex and about country? How can he say, I am a man, I am a woman, I am a child? Are they not lies? He knows that they are. How can he say that these are man's rights, and these others are woman's rights? Nobody has rights. Nobody separately exists. There is neither man nor woman. The soul is sexless, eternally pure. It is a lie to say that I am a man or a woman, or to say that I belong to this country or that. All the world is my country. The whole universe is mine, because I have clothed myself with it as my body. Yet we see that there are people in this world who are ready to assert these doctrines and at the same time do things which we should call filthy. And if we ask them why they do so, they will tell us that it is our delusion and that they can do nothing wrong. What is the test by which they are to be judged? The test is here. Though evil and good are both conditioned manifestations of the soul, yet evil is the most external coating, and good is the nearer coating of the real man, the self. And unless a man cuts through the layer of evil, he cannot reach the layer of good. And unless he has passed through both layers of good and evil, he cannot reach the self. He who reaches the self What remains attached to him? A little karma, a little bit of the momentum of past life, but it is all good momentum. Until the bad momentum is entirely worked out and past impurities are entirely burnt, it is impossible for any man to see and realise truth. So what is left attached to the man who has reached the self and seen the truth is the remnant of the good impressions of past life, the good momentum. Even if he lives in the body and works incessantly, he works only to do good. His lips speak only benediction to all. His hands do only good works. His mind can only think good thoughts. His presence is a blessing wherever he goes. He is himself a living blessing. Such a man will, by his very presence, change even the most wicked persons into saints. Even if he does not speak, his very presence will be a blessing to mankind. Can such men do any evil? Can they do wicked deeds? There is, you must remember, all the difference of pole to pole between realisation and mere talking. Any fool can talk, even parrots talk. Talking is one thing and realising is another. Philosophies and doctrines and arguments and books and theories and churches and sects and all these things are good in their own way. But when that realisation comes these things drop away. For instance, maps are good, but when you see the country itself and look again at the maps, what a great difference you find. So those that have realized the truth do not require the ratiocinations of logic and all other gymnastics of the intellect to make them understand the truth. It is to them the life of their lives, concretized, made more than tangible. It is, as the sages of the Vedanta say, even as a fruit in your hand, you can stand up and say, it is here. So those that have realised the truth will stand up and say, here is the self. You may argue with them by the year, but they will smile at you, They will regard it all as child's prattle. They will let the child prattle on. They have realized the truth and are full. Suppose you have seen a country and another man comes to you and tries to argue with you that the country never existed. He may go on arguing indefinitely but your only attitude of mind towards him must be to hold that that man is fit for a lunatic asylum. So the man of realisation says, all this talk in the world about its little religions is but prattle. Realisation is the soul, the very essence of religion. Religion can be realised. Are you ready? Do you want it? You will get the realisation if you do, and then you will be truly religious. Until you have attained realisation, there is no difference between you and the atheists. The atheists are sincere, but the man who says that he believes in religion and never attempts to realise it is not sincere. The next question is to know what comes after realisation. Suppose we have realised this oneness of the universe that we are that one infinite being and suppose we have realised that this self is the only existence and that it is the same self which is manifesting in all these various phenomenal forms what becomes of us after that? shall we become inactive get into a corner and sit down there and die away? what good will it do to the world? that old question in the first place Why should it do good to the world? Is there any reason why it should? What right has anyone to ask the question? What good will it do to the world? What is meant by that? A baby likes candies. Suppose you are conducting investigations in connection with some subject of electricity and the baby asks you, Does it buy candies? No, you answer. Then what good will it do, says the baby. So men stand up and say, what good will this do to the world? Will it give us money? No. Then what good is there in it? That is what men mean by doing good to the world. Yet religious realisation does all the good to the world. People are afraid that when they attain to it, when they realise that there is but one, the fountains of love will be dried up, that everything in life will go away, and that all they love will vanish for them, as it were, in this life and in the life to come. People never stop to think that those who bestowed the least thought on their own individualities have been the greatest workers in the world, Then alone a man loves when he finds that the object of his love is not any low little mortal thing. Then alone a man loves when he finds that the object of his love is not a clod of earth, but it is the veritable God himself. The wife will love the husband the more when she thinks that the husband is God himself. The husband will love the wife the more when he knows that the wife is God himself. That mother will love the children more, who thinks that the children are God himself. That man will love his greatest enemy, who knows that that very enemy is God himself. That man will love a holy man, who knows that the holy man is God himself. And that very man will also love the unholiest of men, because he knows that the background of that unholiest of men is even he, the Lord. Such a man becomes a world-mover, for whom his little self is dead, and God stands in its place. The whole universe will become transfigured to him. That which is painful and miserable will all vanish. Struggles will all depart and go. Instead of being a prison house where we every day struggle and fight and compete for a morsel of bread this universe will then be to us a playground. Beautiful will be this universe then. Such a man alone has the right to stand up and say how beautiful is this world. He alone has the right to say that it is all good. This will be the great good to the world resulting from such realisation, that instead of this world going on with all its friction and clashing, if all mankind today realise only a bit of that great truth, the aspect of the whole world will be changed, and in place of fighting and quarrelling, there would be a reign of peace. This indecent and brutal hurry, which forces us to go ahead of everyone else, will then vanish from the world. With it will vanish all struggles, with it will vanish all hate, with it will vanish all jealousy, and all evil will vanish away forever. Gods will live then upon this earth. This very earth will then become heaven, and what evil can there be when gods are playing with gods, when gods are working with gods, and gods are loving gods? That is the great utility of divine realisation. Everything that you see in society will be changed and transfigured then. No more will you think of man as evil, and that is the first great gain. No more will you stand up and sneeringly cast a glance at a poor man or woman who has made a mistake. No more, ladies will you look down with contempt upon the poor woman who walks the street in the night because you will see even there God himself. No more will you think of jealousy and punishments. They will all vanish. And love, the great ideal of love, will be so powerful that no whip and cord will be necessary to guide mankind aright. If one millionth part of the men and women who live in this world, simply sit down and for a few minutes say, You are all God. O ye men, and O ye animals and living beings, you are all the manifestations of the one living deity. The whole world will be changed in half an hour. Instead of throwing tremendous bombshells of hatred into every corner, Instead of projecting currents of jealousy and of evil thought, in every country people will think that it is all he. He is all that you see and feel. How can you see evil until there is evil in you? How can you see a thief unless he is there sitting in the heart of your heart? How can you see the murderer until you are yourself the murderer? be good, and evil will vanish for you. The whole universe will thus be changed. This is the greatest gain to society. This is the greatest gain to the human organism. These thoughts were thought out, worked out, amongst individuals in ancient times in India, for various reasons, such as the exclusiveness of the teachers and foreign conquest these thoughts were not allowed to spread yet they are grand truths and wherever they have been working man has become divine my whole life has been changed by the touch of one of these divine men about whom I'm going to speak to you next Sunday and the time is coming when these thoughts will be cast abroad over the whole world Instead of living in monasteries, instead of being confined to books of philosophy to be studied only by the learned, instead of being the exclusive possession of sects and of a few of the learned, they will all be sown broadcast over the whole world, so that they may become the common property of the saint and the sinner, of men and women and children, of the learned and of the ignorant. They will then permeate the atmosphere of the world, and the very air that we breathe will say with every one of its pulsations, Thou art that. And the whole universe, with its myriads of suns and moons, through everything that speaks, with one voice will say, Thou art that.